This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Audible.com. If you would like to support this podcast and start a 30-day trial membership, visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Season 11, Episode 24. This is Writing Excuses. Stakes. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're vampires. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. I'm Dan. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember when the first time we were visiting uh, your family out was Chattanooga. I am fascinated by this segue. (laughs) And I I said, I really want to go get some steaks. And I asked you where we could get them before I remembered you were vegetarian. (laughs) You still took us to a place to get steaks, however, and they were tasty. They gave you bacon. Yeah, there, there, there was that, the bacon. Yep. Okay, not that, bar- kind of steaks, right. not, not that kind of steaks. Not that kind of steaks. Neither kind of steaks. Neither that we have of the steaks thus far. <laughs> we have mentioned <laughs> to this point. All right, we're going to talk we about the steaks, steaks of your story. <laughs> Mary well, and Dan, you guys pitched this episode in a row. Oh, oh. oh this is going. We're this is so going funny. worse and worse. Uh, you pitched this episode. Why did you pitch this episode? I have been working with some students on doing a a, a novel. Mm-hmm. Workshop, And one of the things that people seem to have a lot of trouble with is understanding what stakes are. You, you get the advice all the time, you have to raise the stakes. And, and there's a temptation to think that this means that you have to, you know, make it more world shattering. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, that that is a fundamental understanding of the role that stakes play in fiction. Mm-hmm. So the, the thing that I've been... Uh, trying to, to come up with is a better way to describe it. Yeah. Um, and, and for me, what it comes down to is basically the stakes, the thing that is at stake is the thing that keeps your character from being able to walk away from the conflict. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you're having an argument with someone, mm-hmm. you know, like, like if, if I, and this is a minor stake, but if I, if I have my, my character and he's, he's working on making an instrument and his mom comes in and she wants him to go to a dance... If if he has nothing at stake, he can put the instrument down and say, okay, let's talk about this. If she has nothing at stake, she's like, oh, you're busy right now. I'll come back. So what is it that keeps them both in the room when they both have conflicting goals? Mm-hmm. What is at stake for each of them? And that is the thing when we talk about raising the stakes, making sure that the character always has something that is important enough to keep them in the game. And... Uh, part and parcel with that, we have to believe that that will work. Yes, uh, you you have to have all you have to have already sold me on that. Um, for me, a, you know, a good example of of stakes uh, when it matters and when it doesn't matter. There are arguments that I can just walk away from. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm here at a convention and I'm having a conversation with somebody, and I realize, oh. This is just not a, not a conversation I want to continue, and I don't have to, and I will walk away. If I am having a disagreement with one of my children, that is not one of the options that is on the table, because taking that option will damage the relationship in a way that creates a really, really interesting story that I'm just not interested in being a part of. Mm-hmm. When we, Mary and I were on a panel earlier today here at Phoenix Comic Con, talking about evil and villains and I can't remember if it was you who said it or Victoria Schwab but I just thought this was one of the most brilliant things oh, I've heard so I assume it was you <laughs> mm. um, talking about how 
often the difference between a hero and a villain are the the magnitude of the stakes that they're fighting over. And in my head, I immediately thought of a dystopian story. Mm. So, for example, from the villain's point of view, the stakes are the survival of our nation or of our species. We have to do things this way because of these big, huge reasons. Whereas the hero is often fighting against much smaller stakes. Well, this society is going to destroy my life or my sister's life or something like that. And so they're both kind of fighting for good things, but the stakes are totally different and on different scales. That is brilliant, and that was not me. That was Victoria Mm. then, and I just thought it was amazing, and I've been thinking about it ever since. You know, this is a conversation that I wish we could have, and you guys could have, with many a Hollywood exec. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Because the idea of raising the stakes seems to be a big thing in Hollywood. Well, Mm -hmm. we need to raise the stakes for the second film. And what they do to raise the stakes is they make it less personal to the main character, but add more villains or more explosions. That was one of the things that, one of the many things that I really loved about uh, Captain America's Civil War. Okay, no spoilers. I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Nor have I. Mm -hmm. I won't give any spoilers, but I will say that after movie after movie where the finale is a big giant fight Mm -hmm. over a city, this one does not do that. And it was really refreshing and very cool. That is excellent. Yeah. And that's, you know, you can see the, the Marvel movies are doing a pretty good job of this. Um, they they have their foibles. Um, I think they've maybe learned from the old Spider-Man films. They're like, well, the second movie will have two villains. Well, the third <laughs> movie will have seven villains. I mean, all of this sort of thing. And the danger of that, the problem is, this whole, it makes it less personal to divide mm-hmm. the time, not more personal. So it lowers the stakes instead of raising the stakes. Yeah, when, and I this- told, uh, when I told the story in uh, Schlock Mercenary Resident Mad Scientist, uh, the sixth book. Um, It's a time travel story in which we are using the energy generated by the destruction of our galaxy to go back in time and prevent the destruction of our galaxy. Uh, And, you know, it's ultimate huge stakes and it does not become personal for anybody. You don't care until you realize that the person going back is also going to save the life of his friend mm-hmm. who died before the before right. the whole galactic brouhaha happened. And that story was so satisfying for me. I mean, it resonated with a lot of readers, but I don't care. It worked well for me. It, it told me who these people were. And after that story, which I told in 2006, mm. uh, you know, I've been telling stories for 10 years since then. And I haven't tried to blow up the galaxy even one time. <laughs> I haven't needed to right. because now I've figured that out. All I need to do is make it personal and the threat can be quite small. Yeah, and the thing that you said about the audience doesn't care, that is the thing that that makes the stakes personal. Because you can have a personal stake, but if the audience doesn't buy into it, then, you know, like, I mean, Joffrey has a personal stake, Mm-hmm. In Game of Thrones, we don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let me ask, how do you do that then? Let's let's talk about this. How can you make it personal and we care? <laughs> well, Robin Hood has a suggestion <laughs> for us. I don't know if you guys will be able to pick that up, but we are at Phoenix Comic Con and the someone is blowing a horn out in the no, main that's, lobby. That's not that, a horn. No, that, that was Dan's text that thing. That was Dan's oh, okay. phone. <laughs> 
Oh. I have it muted, but sometimes alerts still come so through. So I'm blaming muted. the poor Congoers, and you are the one that's interrupting it. Keep it quiet down there, Congoers. Yes. <laughs> Dan has something at stake here. <laughs> um, so, so how how do we make the yes. audience care? I, I know that I talk about Jane Austen a lot, mm-hmm. um, but persuasion is, I think, a really good example of making us understand. Because there is really literally nothing at stake mm. um, in that book except, will she be happy? That's the thing that's at stake. That's it. But we care about it deeply because she gets into the character's head. And I think this is one of the things one of the tools that we have as authors that is very effective is that we can get into the character's head mm-hmm. and we can understand why it matters to them. Okay. And that, so that motivation why, is yes. what you're getting at. Yeah. We need to understand the motivation. Um, do like Go back to the Joffrey problem. Do we also need to empathize and want it to happen? I think so. But the, the, the weird thing, and we were talking about this again on the, the villains panel, is that you can empathize with someone who is really right. actually a villain. That's right. You, mm-hmm. Magneto's the great example. You empathize. You don't want him to enslave all of humanity. I, I would actually say, I mean, yes, Magneto. But, yeah. but, but, I mean, actually, like, again, Lies of Locke Lamora, they're the bad guys. Right, right. You know? Any heist film, you've got your thieves. Th- those, are, those are villains, but they're acting as the protagonists, right. but we care about Law it. Lawbreakers. Lawbreakers. Yes. <laughs> Some of them are villains. Yes. Sometimes mm-hmm. it, they take great pains to say, no, no, they're robbing somebody worse. Yeah. I yeah. think it's worthwhile to uh, to do a callback and go ahead and link this in the liner notes. When we were uh, messing with the character sliders, mm-hmm. uh, mm. the those sliders, the idea of how likable is a character, how competent is a character, mm-hmm. how, what was the third one? I don't even remember. Um, uh, proactive. Proactive mm-hmm. uh, is, is the character. Um, when, we are, when we are trying to raise stakes, when we are trying to build engagement with the audience for whatever is at stake, uh, those sliders, you know, how do we feel about this person? Mm-hmm. Uh, when... Uh, when I told the story in uh, in Resident Mad Scientist, um, Captain Tagon dies, uh, saving the lives of the other people who are with him, um, and it's it's kind of a heroic and wonderful moment. And yeah, well, yes, he's a violent mercenary sort of person, but he's good, mm-hmm. and we like him. And now he's gone. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's go ahead and stop for our book of the week. Um, our book of the week is Mrs. Grisby and the Rats of Nim. Mrs. Frisby. 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 Yes, I I should have known that. That's okay. So I have been listening to Mrs. Frisby and the Rats of Nim uh, on at audible.com and loving it. This is a book that I read as a, a child multiple times. It's one of my go-tos. And this is a beautiful narration. This is a really good book to read when you want to read about stakes. Mm. Um, and, and also, 
looking at, uh, at at ways to raise them without being unbelievable, even though we are talking about talking rats and mice. Um, it's it's beautifully portrayed. Uh, the narrator is fantastic. Highly recommend this. So if you want to pick up a copy of Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim uh, by Robert, o- Robert O'Brien, you can head over to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse, start your trial membership. Um, it is read by Barbara Caruso and high praises from Mary on the audiobook version of this story. All right. You look like you had something you really wanted to say about raising stakes, and I, I cut you off for a book of the week. Oh, no. I, I, it was something that I realized, and again, from, from the, the villain panel. It was panel, such a good panel, you guys. It was such a good panel. <laughs> um, that, that one of the things, and, and this ties into what Howard was saying before the break, that, um, that one of the things about the stakes, and, and mm-hmm. one of the things that differs Joffrey from, from other people, is it's the difference between selfless and selfish. Mm-hmm. That frequently when we care about someone and what they have at stake, it is because the thing that they have at stake is actually for someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, in persuasion, and, and it it's also has to do with the, the main character sometimes being willing to give up their own happiness mm-hmm. because they care more about someone, willing to give up their own life because they care about someone. And it's that selflessness I think that can help you help the reader empathize with the 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 thing that is at stake. So go ahead, Dan. Um, I, this is a slightly different topic, but I'm thinking about uh, one of my favorite authors, Bernard Cornwell. And one thing he does in almost every book is he will establish two different sets of stakes and put them in conflict with each other. Yes, hmm. you know, here is a character who. Uh, you know, Uhtred of Bebenberg in the Saxon Chronicles. He wants to get his castle back. He wants to get this woman back that he's married to. You know, he wants to get these things for himself. But also, he needs to help Alfred the Great establish England. And sooner or later, he won't be able to do both, and he'll have to choose. And that creates this wonderful tension and ultimately a lot of tragedy when he inevitably chooses the country over himself. And he does that in every book, and I eat it up every time. <laughs> What is it about those stakes specifically that works for you? Let's talk about that story. Why do those stakes, why, why do you care? It's the moment of selflessness. Yeah, I mean, going back to what you were saying, and, and I think that's part of it is because, the, you know, there's the one he wants for himself. He wants to get his family castle mm-hmm. back. But, you know. Does it establish why he wants the family castle back? Yes, and it, it, it uh, the, actually, that's where the entire nine book series starts is with mm-hmm. him losing that castle and, and every book he wants to get it back. He wants to go back and reclaim it again and, you know, establish his family glory and do all of these wonderful things. Um, and other books will do different things. He wants to train his son to be a great warrior like himself, you know, all these other things. But invariably, there's the, the much bigger thing, you know, the queen is in danger or the king's son has been captured, or something like that, and he'll have to choose something nobler than his own cause. And I think that that's what it must be, is, is why I love it so much, is it's that sense of personal sacrifice, you know, for the greater good, that he's giving up this thing he wants so much, and it's because he wants it so much that it, you know, that it makes it that much more powerful when he gives it up. That is actually what makes O'Henry's Gift of the Magi work. Yes. Mm. 
So let me throw a curveball at you because I agree with all of this. But, you know, the piece of my brain saying, well, there are stories that violate this, oh, yeah. obviously. Um, so what about the stories where it is a selfish desire? Say revenge narratives. Um, revenge narratives where it is, I am going to go do this thing. Yet some of those work pretty well for stakes. I mean, what makes us? What makes it there? Where usually, it's selfish? Usually, with yeah. those, the revenge narrative is the a plot, for lack mm-hmm. of a better term. And you give me something that is running parallel to that. That is the b plot, and mm-hmm. that might actually be what I'm engaged with. Okay, assuming that you know success at the revenge plot mm-hmm. is is going to be our triumph, quote unquote. Um, but yeah, usually that's not the thing that I will engage with unless you have given me a reason to care mm. beyond just saying, no, this bad guy really is that bad. Look, uh, he, here he murders a kitten. I, See, I totally agree with you, though I think um, going back to character sliders, we, we've talked a lot about, you know, nobility, right? Mm-hmm. It's beyond myself. Those are likable things. The, they, those move the scale up on the character's likability, and that says, okay, we like them, we want them to achieve. But I do think we can do it with the proactivity. If there's someone who's just hyper-competent and mm-hmm. something is in their way consistently, that will aggravate us and raise the stakes on getting past this yeah. thing because they have so often run into this problem. Okay, and, and here's a funny example of it. Um, one of my favorite revenge movies is Payback with Mel mm-hmm. Gibson in which the the reason this works for me is because the stakes are so low and mm-hmm. he chases them so hard. It's a it's a comedy action movie and the mob has stolen something ridiculously stupid from him like $30,000. You know, he's not chasing millions, he's not yeah. trying to get his wife back. He just wants his 30 grand back. And none of the mobsters can even believe that he is fighting so hard and causing so much trouble to get this stupid 30 grand and it's wonderful. I want my $2. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. Um, uh, Let's go ahead and do a writing prompt. Mary, you have a writing prompt for us. Yeah. So I've been doing this thing where I write a story in 15 minutes for charity. Mm. And I start it based on three things. Mm -hmm. An object, a character, and a genre. So, listener, look to your left. That is your object. (laughs) Look at the bookshelf. The first book you see, that is your genre. And your character is your best friend. Now, write a story for 15 minutes. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production. Jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, 
And I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. Locus. 